Good. All worshiped up and ready to break into it here, break into God's Word. I uh, had an interesting week this week. I won't go into detail, but uh, uh, I agreed to, to, to come down. Mike's a busy man, as you know. He's got a lot of stuff going on. He's got a lot of, he's a hard worker, one of the hardest working guys I know Michael Meany is. And, uh, and so I thought, I'll give, him, give my brother a day off, and a week off really, essentially, and, uh, and come down, and, and what an honor it is to be here with you guys. Uh, we are going to be, if you got your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to, excuse me just a second. You can have that um, music stand. Oh, okay. Just pull it out from wherever you are. All right, I'm stand here and borrow Turn there myself. First Corinthians five. I'm going to back up just a little bit. Uh, I'm excited, not overly excited about this passage. It's it's one of those things that that uh, it's one of those places in the Bible I should say you come to and you're like, you know, it's 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 a little hard, but at the same time, it's uh, it's part of the word. It's the Bible we where we're at, and so um, I like to back up a little bit in the last, previous chapter, chapter four, around verse. 15, uh, it's actually one of my favorite sections here in, in Corinthians, right here where Paul says, uh, For though I, though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. Speaking to the Corinthian church, of course. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. And uh, I just love the way Paul shares his heart there for his love for these Corinthians. Uh, you guys know he spent a year and a half, around 18 months, actually, in Corinth, uh, Back in Acts 18, you can read about it. He uh, he stayed there as a tent maker, met uh, met uh, a couple of folks, led them to the Lord, and just really started a church there. Um, Priscilla and Aquila were their names, if you guys remember. I know you went through the book Acts, so you probably remember better than I do. But um, but he spent a year and a half, a year and a half there, and he became like a father to him, a spiritual father. And uh, what a blessing that is to have. And so you've got this guy to look out for you. And although he traveled uh, many, many more miles after he, he set up this church, helped set this church up in Corinth, he was always, they were, they were always there on his heart, uh, the Corinthians. And so, you know, he became like a dad to him. He says, I've begotten you through the gospel. That uh, now they are, he's like a dad, but he's like a brother. But as a dad, I think of how, um, you know, sometimes it's hard to say the, the right things to your kids. You see how cute they are, how good they're doing. You know, uh, he talks uh, previously talked about how they were on milk, they were babes in Christ, but yet they were still a little carnal. Just like you know, I think of, of our little ki- our little girls, how beautiful they are, but they're still carnal. They're still they're babies, and uh, you know you've got to you've got to raise them right. You got and how do we know what's right? But we go to the Word of God, and so uh, what a blessing that is to have here. And so uh, Paul in this. Epistles letter, he, he, he rebukes at times, he instructs throughout, he, uh, he's, clear, he's trying to clear up misunderstandings about different issues within the church, uh, he wants to see them do good, and you know, this is a place where the morals of Greece, you know, Greece has a lot of cities like Athens and, and Corinth that here that they're really just uh, like the Las Vegas, you know. I think it was Ray Stedman that said it's the most, uh, Corinth was the most uh, American city in Greece. You know, it's funny that, 
that uh, they were living for the flesh. And we'll talk more about that later, but, and we do know a little bit about that, living in America, of course. But uh, it was known around the ancient world for this, how they took pride in, in uh, uh, living for themselves and living for lust and greed. And, and uh, it became a natural thing. Um, you guys probably remember Mike went through this, I'm sure, that there was a temple high up on a hill where you could see it from miles around all throughout the town. You could see this temple dedicated to the uh, goddess of sex, Aphrodite. Um, no doubt this had to be a daunting thing as, as these new Christians would go to church and they've got this pagan, I mean, I'm sure there was guys, this pagan thing on a hill, this big massive structure uh, to this, this false goddess idol. And it had to be hard, you know. And I always picture uh, the church in Corinth is like a, a little island and a sea of debauchery all around them with, this, with waves of uh, evil just washing up against them constantly. And how much we see that here, uh, right here in the heartland of America, we see that right here in the parkland. And so uh, you guys are a little south. I'm used to saying the parkland. You're here in the valley. But uh, same thing. It's, it's uh, not getting better. And it's not supposed to get better. But, you know, God gives us a way to deal with that. But back to this, there was, there was uh, every night, to talk, talk about the debauchery, just to give one of many examples, uh, historians say that every night over a thousand, over a thousand uh, temple prostitutes, priestesses, they were, they were called, would come down and, uh, and just do what they do. And I don't need to go into detail about that. But what, a, what a, uh, a picture of how Corinth is just given over to that sensualism, that uh, sexism. And, and so... Uh, all this pressure on them, uh, the church in, in some ways, they're in Corinth, uh, still being young, in some ways looked a lot, it was like rubbing off on them. They looked a lot like that in some ways. And uh, Paul wasn't going to have that. You know, he was going to deal with this head on, you know, uh, as, a, as a father in the faith. Uh, he wasn't going to, he wasn't about to let the lust creep in or the, the, the old man rise up. And so, you know. Let's pray real quick before we uh, read God's Word. Father, we thank you, Lord, for uh, this time together this morning. Thank you for uh, your Word and how uh, it does all these things, instructs, directs, rebukes. And it's good for for so much, Lord, and uh, so essential for life. Thank you for uh, it. Thank you for uh, loving us and uh, a chance to meet, worship you, and learn more about you. In Jesus' name, bless the study, we pray. Amen. So chapter 5, 1 Corinthians, verse 1 says, It is actually reported that among you, oh, I'm sorry, there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as it not, is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. For indeed, I, absent in the body, but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present. Him who has done so and this, with this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan. For the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Verse 6. Your glorifying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. 
Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. We'll stop there. Um, I should have prefaced this as the little PG-13. Uh, Paul's dealing with something that, that uh, uh, it's kind of hard to talk about, but it is what it is. Like I said, this is where the Bible's meeting us. And, um, you know, previously he was talking about uh, useless divisions, uh, worldly intellectualism, uh, these things, you know, they, they were going around, uh, the Corinthian uh, believers were almost raiding Paul and Apollos and these different speakers, Peter, and it kind of reminds me when I was a kid, you know, we would we would almost idolize these baseball players. We would say, I'm a Jose Canseco. I'm, I'm, I'm all about Mark McGuire. And you would go out and play and you'd be like, I'm these guys. Well, you know, it's not, uh, <laughs> they're not meant to be uh, uh, gods for us to worship. It's so easy to do that in sports or, you know, I could go on and on about sports, but uh, really, anyway, and so they were almost uh, rating these guys as uh, little little idols. And, and so, they, and anyway, that's just one of the many things Paul was addressing. Um, but here in chapter 5, he gets to the, uh, the next problem, it's sexual immorality. Uh, and so to be clear, the biblical definition of sexual immorality is uh, any sexual activity outside of marriage. This, word, this term comes from the Greek word pornea. It's where we get our word for pornography. And so it obviously, uh, we won't go into all of it, but it includes homosexuality, fornication, which is sex before marriage, adultery, cheating on a spouse, and that's just to name a few, but you guys get the idea. It's an all-encompassing word that covers uh, any sexual activity outside the confines of marriage, uh, the, the boundaries that God set up. And so I think about how the Bible, we, it talks about sexual immorality so much, and uh, it's there's a reason for that. God, God knows that we struggle that, especially we struggle with that, especially as men. Um, that constant pressure of that, and in, in the society we're in, there's, there's uh, it's such a visual thing, and, and we've got to guard our eyes and guard our hearts and minds uh, against this. But I, we know that God's heart for uh, really hatred for sexual immorality is clear in. The, in the Old Testament law, he talks about it in several different places. We don't have time to go there this morning, but uh, we do know it was punishable by death for the Israelites. It was That's how serious it was. Um, sex outside of marriage, uh, sex before marriage. And so uh, God wanted to keep his people pure. He wanted to keep, uh, just like he wants to keep our church, keep his church pure. Um, and so even though we live in this age of grace today, um, the sin itself still just as serious, you know. I think about how, back in the, even as the law was being given to Moses, Moses came down from the mountain and he looked, and the people were having this big party, and I can't even describe to you how bad it was. Um, and and God had to had to uh, strike down several uh, a lot of people, and so uh, and that wasn't the only time, but. Uh, it's a serious thing. He, he even says uh, in First Thessalonians 4 that if you're ever wondering about the will of God, this is, this is one thing here. The will of God is that you should abstain from sexual immorality. And that it's so easy to get desensitized uh, by the culture. But against this, and it, we shouldn't lose our shock, is, is my point, to, to, the, uh, to the things around us. 
that, that are uh, against what God says. You know, God, the God of the universe created each one of us. He loves us more than we can imagine. He, uh, he, it's His will for, for all of us uh, to make this a way of life, to abstain from this kind of thing. And so, uh, obviously, like we just read, it, it's crept into, crept into the church, and, and it's got to be dealt with. Right here in verse 1, it's, uh, Paul uses this example out of no doubt many of uh, incest. Uh, it's a form of incest to uh, go to be with, and, it, and the language indicates that it's it's uh, an ongoing thing that he is with his uh, father's wife, not his mom, but his stepmom, and that's still considered incest. Uh, here, there were Roman laws against it. The pagan Romans were even against that kind of thing. And so, Paul says. Uh, even the, the nations around you kind of blush at this, you know, and all the stuff they're doing. And so, it's like the, the Corinthians were so puffed up, he even calls them puffed up five times through this letter. You guys are puffed up, which is just to be arrogant, prideful, and to miss the boat, the, miss the, the point of even assembling together as a church. Um, it's the seriousness of the matter that needs to be realized here. The word for mourning here, the Greek word actually means to... Uh, be broken about it as a death, a tearful mourning as if somebody had died. And so, he said, you should, you know, Paul's saying here, he's inferring that you guys should be broken over the sin and also the sin or the the fact that you got, this guy really needs to leave. And uh, there was some misunderstandings, like Mike said earlier, they were, they were young in the faith, they, they were still learning, but this is the thing that they, uh, they, they should have done. And so Paul uses in verse 2 his apostolic authority uh, as an apostle, not a b-apostle. He was the apostle. He, was, he spent time with Jesus. He, he sat at his feet. And, and Paul here, <clears throat> as, a, as a leader in the church and a, a disciple of Christ, he, he exhorts these Corinthian Christians to uh, kick the man out of the church. He says, I'm not there, but my spirit is there. The, the power of the Lord is, our, is there in that God's already... Uh, He's not accepted of this. Accepted of this, he's already uh, judged this thing before it's even happened by his word. You know, if we're wondering about a thing before we do it, a lot of times we can look in scripture and it's not black. It's not gray. It's black and white. This is the kind of thing that's not acceptable um, for purity's sake. And so he exhorts the leadership there to uh, to do this. It's not just something that popped up. We know that it it's been ongoing. People know about it. The woman here, first time I've read this, I, I thought, you know, where's the woman in this? What's, where's she at? Evidently she's not a believer, because later on we're going to read that she, that we're not to, the church is not to judge the unbeliever. We're, the church is to judge, you know, judgment begins at the house of the Lord. It, it is to be with, uh, you know, somebody who says they're a Christian. Uh, they are going to be judged to that, uh, held to that standard. And we know that you know, it's, it doesn't happen. You look around at churches, if you talk to pastors and leadership, if they share it with you, from what I've seen, it doesn't happen a lot, thankfully, uh, very rarely. And But the teaching, the principle of this is in Matthew 18, if you guys want to turn there real quick. Straight from Jesus here in Matthew 18. It, it, uh, I really I'd like to preface it while you guys are turning there with Galatians 6.1. And it, Galatians 6 1 uh, says, It's, uh, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one 
in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So once again, you know, we're called to uh, confront, to approach uh, the person, not to, to cower, and, but at the same time not to be so bold that it can't happen to us, whatever this is. And it's not, this is just not sexual immorality, guys. This is uh, sin in the church that, that has to be dealt with. And so it, it encompasses many different uh, things that the Lord doesn't want it to be ongoing for once again the purity of the church and the growth of His people. Um, and so in a spirit of meekness, of gentleness, we were to go. Here it says in verse 15 of Matthew 18, Go to your brother who sins against you. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So you just roll up there by yourself. And if he hears you, you've gained your brother. No pressure, you're, you're by yourself. Um, and if he hears you, great. If he receives that, if he, if he, you know, I want to repent. This is, I've, I've been waiting for somebody, you know, to come up and, 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 and talk to me about this. I want to get out of this. And then in turn, you can help your brother. You can help him in that restoration process. Um, and I like what Skip Isaac says. He says that it's not, the goal is restoration. And all this that we're talking about here, it's restoration. It's God's heart, not excommunication. You know, nobody wants to, somebody to be kicked out of the church. But the goal there is restoration, and even after that, we'll talk about that. And so, but say, say he says, no, I'm, I'm going to, I'm fine, you know. The church is tolerant of this. Uh, I'm, I'm clearly getting the, the green light to keep doing what I'm doing. I can't believe you're talking to me about this. He, he, and you know that the scripture says it's, it's wrong. You can go to verse 16, the second step. It says, but if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And so now you've taken a couple more reputable little Christians, more uh, guys, not just, you know, guys that don't know the Word, guys that have been in the Word, guys that, that are, have lived their lives under submission to God's Word. Uh, take them with you. And uh, if He still doesn't hear you, if he's, you guys are just judging me, you guys, are, you know, you'll hear things like that. If He refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. You go to the church leadership. But if he refuses to even hear the church, let him be like a tax collector and heathen. And so, if he refuses to hear that the, the church is not going to accept this, then there's no reason for him to be there, you know. And this has happened before in another uh, letter. Uh, Paul had to, uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander, I believe were their names, Paul had to uh, deal with them by, in the same manner. They weren't, and they were believed to be in church leadership, possibly pastors. And they, uh, they got kicked out, they got excommunicated. And so we never hear anything else about it. But the cool thing, and I'll just tell you ahead of time, the cool thing about this, this guy, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I believe, he, uh, he doesn't give the guy's name, he doesn't hear either, but we believe this is the same guy, and so just to give you guys a little something positive here, something, um, some hope here that he, he does get restored. So it does happen, we know that. That's what, you know, it, it sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it does happen. You know, the, the goal is fulfilled. There's restoration that does happen. But if, if they don't ex receive that, if they don't repent and they want to keep going, there's no, like I said before, there's no reason for them to be there. Uh, and really two big reasons are uh, because they'll just leave, they'll, it compromises the church, obviously. It defiles the church. Uh, the purity is, it will be lacking and it'll deteriorate and 
and plummet from there when people start seeing it. Um, and it leaves it, people are self-deceived, or he's self-deceived, other people are just uh, deceived, but uh, self-deceived, that way will lead him to destruction, and then he's just not, he's not going to grow, he's not, it's just not going to work. So if we, we flip back over to 1 Corinthians 5, Verse 5 uh, is kind of interesting. You know, you might, some might look at that and say, Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And what does that mean? Well, what is the flesh even? You know, we've hit on it earlier. The flesh, let me go back to Romans 6. Uh, Mike hit on earlier. Romans 6 talks about how, you know, we've been given a new nature. Uh, uh, we don't have to follow uh, what the Bible calls the old man anymore. Uh, we don't. We've got. We can. We can be resistant to sin. We don't have to sin. We're not. Um, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit living inside us now. Before we, when we were unbelievers, we didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside us. And so God gave us His Holy Spirit to lead us and direct us in all ways, and uh, you know, give us power over sin. You know, the old man's died. But the thing is, if that hopefully that makes sense to you guys, I just kind of skimmed over a major, major topic in the Bible, but he. Uh, Romans 6 is a good place to go. Uh, I'll even, let's see. You know, like verse 2 says, you know, how should we who die to sin live any longer in it? I like, uh, for we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, Christ, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. And so, we're, we're free from that. You know, the woman, I talked about earlier, she wasn't a believer, she wasn't a Christian, and she wasn't to be judged. She she was doing what, what uh, I hate to say, I guess, but what sinners do, is doing the things that, that we do when we don't have that check. Uh, that Holy Spirit, how He He uh, He keeps us from uh, doing these things. And so, the flesh, though, uh, the destruction of the flesh is is not about His body being destroyed, not the skin, not our skin. You know, that's not necessarily the flesh uh, here, but it's a spiritual thing. It's it's our sinful passions and desires that remain, even though we've been given a new nature. We still have the desire to go to the buffet at the restaurant and get a fourth plate. You know, that's a gluttony. That's we're commands. Our flesh is saying, "Do it, do it," you know, and oh, it's okay. No, no, it's uh, it's it is what it is. It's still sinful passion and desire. Here it's sex. So, this man, uh, though he was a Christian, proclaimed Christian to uh, Christianity, he was given over to the sins of the flesh, and so by sending him away, this man, uh, he's been given away to Satan's domain, essentially the world. You know, the Bible. It's clear, uh, Matthew 4, I believe, uh, Satan's tempted by, or Jesus is tempted by Satan. And he tells him, you know, he says, hey, I'll give you all this. All this in the world's mine, and I'll give it to you if you bow down at my feet. And, of course, Jesus didn't do that, and, uh, but he didn't argue with him either. He didn't say, this isn't yours, you know. Positionally, it is Christ. He created it. We forfeited it. Man did. Adam and Eve, they forfeited it by, by sinning in the garden, but Satan took essentially the title lead to the earth, and then now he's uh, essentially ruling and reigning in it. But uh, he has no power over us. 
You know, the only power He has over us is the power that we give Him. Because once again, we got the Holy Spirit living inside us, and, and we're not. He doesn't force our hand. You know, He puts the pressure on, no doubt, but uh, He doesn't. He can't force us because greater is He who lives in, inside us than He who is in the world. And so, this guy though, He's sent out into that world, into that domain of Satan. So that he'll get so sick and tired, the hope is, he'll get so sick and tired of, of his sin that he'll come running back to that covering, that safety that is the church. You know, there's safety, there's protection here. There's, you know, you look in Corinth, you look in different places, Las Vegas or whatever, you look in these sinful cities, these cities of sin, and so where's the protection? Where's the, I'm, I don't even want to step foot in that. I don't want to, I'm going to be defiled. Uh, but, you know, no doubt these Christians in Corinth were looking around at this pagan temple up on the hill and, and all these overwhelming eyes. But, you know, once again, God's greater. They can go into the house of the Lord and they can see their end. And they can see, uh, what you know, purity, uh, a holiness. They can, they can get away from the junk. You know, I think of how uh, it seems kind of harsh, but God allows uh, people to go, to go up back on the, the man again. Um, how God allows this kind of stuff, the destruction of the flesh. Uh, a good example, uh, how God sent Judah, the northern, king, northern kingdom, uh, away into exile for 70 years. We don't have time to tell the whole story, but you guys might remember that uh, they got sent into Babylon for disobedience. Uh, now, no small disobedience. Time time again, they were, they were uh, in sin. They were, uh, uh, one of the big ones was idolatry. And... Uh, they would struggle with it. All throughout their existence, Israel would struggle with idolatry. What is idolatry? Putting anything before God. Essentially, worshiping anything other than God. And so, they were, they were lifting up these idols. And uh, God said, okay, if you want to do that, I, I, fine, I can see that you're not going to change your mind. And once again, God's a gentleman. He's not going to change their mind for them. Um, he will change your heart if you change your mind. But he says, uh, I'm going to send you to the land of idols. I'm going to send you to Babylon. And he tells them ahead of time, 70 years, uh, and you're out. And, then, and it was a little less than 70 years, and they got out. But when they did get out, the awesome thing, the beautiful thing there is that they were cured of their idolatry. You didn't, they didn't deal with, they didn't, know. <laughs> we don't want any more of that. And uh, they struggled with other stuff, as we, we always do and always will, but they, uh, they, they were cured of that idolatry. I think of another time, he uh, sent quail, when they were getting the manna after they'd left Egypt, he sent quail to them. And they go, oh, this isn't good enough. I wanted to go back to Egypt. Okay, he sent more and more and more until they had it coming out their nose. The Bible says until they were so sick of it. Uh, and uh, they they were cured of that. Okay, they would grumble still, but they were kind of, you know, get past the, the, the problem of grumbling against our food here. Um, so anyhow, if we look at... Um, Oh, I love it also in verse 5 how he says, The Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. That he, you know, I think of Job there. <laughs> verse 5, how Job was, his actual body was beat up on. And God allowed Satan to, to really do a number on him. You guys remember Job in the Old Testament. He, God allowed it as a test to, to, to do a, uh, Satan to do a lot. But it's, at the end, his spirit was saved. He uh, didn't change, all that didn't change the fact all the, the torturous uh, time he had didn't change the fact that he was still going to heaven, that he was still the Lord's. And so, I like here, 6 through 8, Paul talks about how the glorifying is not good. Um, he gives a reason 
Why? He does, just doesn't tell them what to do. I love that about Paul and all his letters and epistles. He, he tells, he rebukes and he'll instruct and then he'll tell why. Real practical. Not just because I say, not just, but this is why. And so his reason is that, he says, you, you, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? He uses some Old Testament, image, Old Testament imagery here. Leaven, we know, is a, is a metaphor for sin throughout the Bible. And a little bit of sin is, uh, can hold a lot of influence uh, over a group of people, over a congregation. Uh, back in Exodus 12, uh, it's a story, if you ever want to read it, if you guys aren't familiar with it, Exodus 12, tells the story of the first Passover. Uh, the Lord was rescuing the Israelites from Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt for, for years. Uh, and uh, he, were, he was rescuing them. But before this, um, they had to go through something. They, had to, they, were, uh, they were to kill a lamb. They were to apply the blood of this lamb that they had killed to the doorposts and the lintel, the, the little overhang, the door overhang. Apply the blood from that lamb on that, that doorway. It's very interesting. And uh, when the Lord would come through, He was going to strike the firstborn of every house and it's judgment. And when He came through to ex execute judgment on everybody, He wouldn't strike the house. He would pass over the houses with the blood. And so they were saved by the blood of the Lamb. And so you guys, put, you've put it together already, I'm sure, uh, that uh, the blood of the Lamb saves we're saved by the blood of our Passover lamb, Jesus himself. This is a picture of that. Jesus fulfills that Passover. Um, something else interesting happened, though. The day before all this, they would, they would go through their houses, and God told them to do all this. He told them, go through your houses and get all the leaven out. Back then, they even had leaven. It was a type of yeast. They, it would, uh, leaven was just something that would, uh, you would put in bread. And even to this day, my wife's got a bread maker. She uses her yeast, and she puts it in it, and if it fluffs up, it gets puffy. And uh, it permeates the whole lump of dough in a way that it, it rises up. And so the Israelites would go through the houses and they would remove that, that, that same thing, that leaven, um, and anything with leaven in it, and, and get rid of it. And before they could eat the Passover, eat, eat the lamb, they would eat the lamb in the house there with the blood covering it. And so the uh, picture for us, once again, is how it applies to us is that we've left Egypt, the world, through salvation. God became our, our uh, Passover land, lamb, the blood shed for us on the cross. So now we can continue on uh, without all these secret sins that puff up and spread through the church so easy. We, we, uh, we can live these unleavened lives. So, and it's really, uh, I think it's interesting because he's really calling the uh, the Corinthians here to re and us as we read it to recommit to holiness and purity on our parts. What an encouraging thing! You know, he says down in verse eight, "Let us keep the feast not with old leaven, not with the old." You know, this is once, once again this is symbolic for the old life, the old man, the old sins, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread, the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. We're to uh, to celebrate, you know, to celebrate that freedom we have to not have to sin, to become, to be able to be in a body of believers, to be able to worship God without the, the sin uh, rising up. He's encouraging us in that. And the joy that all that brings when we are free. 
You know, it's funny, I think, about how, how free, how great we feel when we do something great, but how much greater we feel when it's not, not of us and something great happens to us and we glory, get to glorify God. Um, I hope that makes sense. I just really think it's an amazing thing that we can just bask in His presence and His sovereignty in our lives. Um, but to keep rolling, let's, uh, let's go ahead and finish the chapter out. I'll read the rest. Verse 9, 1 Corinthians 5 says, I wrote to you, Corinthians, in my epistle, not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reveler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner. Not to even eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside God judges. Therefore put away from yourselves the evil person. We see here that there was a letter, apparently there was a letter that, that was written before this to the Corinthians that we don't have record of. But... He, he warns them, you know, like I said earlier, this, this kind of thing, the sexual immorality being dealt with, he's already started dealing with it. And he's warned them about this already. And, uh, and so, once again, like we looked at earlier, he has to, to deal with it and uh, kind of go strong on him a little bit there with his expectation. But he told them before not to, uh, to keep company with sexual immoral people, but he wasn't talking about the people... In the world, he gives this list of covetous, extortioners, idolaters. Uh, not, the, not the worldly people. He's, he's talking about believers in sin who keep saying that they're fine. Don't be tolerant of it. Zero tolerance of it. And so, uh, if, they, if it's ongoing. He doesn't... Uh, you know, he says you'd have to go out of the world, you'd have to go to space to find... Uh, people in the world that, that don't do this because they're going to live like this. They, they don't have the basis of, of knowledge of the scriptures. They don't have uh, the Holy Spirit inside them to, to, to persuade them not to do things. They have a conscience, but it's so easy for that conscience to get hardened by uh, everyday life. And so don't expect that people in the world are going to heed so or submit themselves to uh, morality, the, the standards of, and uh, Laws of morality that, that we are to. They're under a different deal. Um, so hang out with them. You, see, you know, he's basically saying, yeah, it's, you don't uh, treat them the same. Like how Jesus told his disciples, you know, behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. wolves. He's telling them ahead of time, go, but just know that they're wolves, they're not sheep, you know. So uh, this is where we are. We're, we're sheep in the midst of wolves. And habits are offensive. Uh, we, we're around stuff all the time. I mean, anybody can, you can think of examples of where uh, people's habits are just so offensive. But uh, God's, jo- God's job is to judge them. And we're, our job is just to love them and uh, understand that they don't, once again, they don't have uh, any basis for change. And that's where the gospel comes in. That's where we, we are to... Uh, Get them alone. And say, hey, you know, Lord loves you. He died for you. Uh, he went, and he's, he's your way to heaven. But you've got to receive him in your heart, believe, and confess with your mouth that he is God. So you, you put him on the throne of your life, 
and uh, you don't need all this other stuff. That's our job, just to be mouthpieces for God. And He even gives us the power and boldness to do it by His Spirit. He says not to even eat with such a person who is named a brother. Once again, this man was... was, uh, Proclaiming himself to be a brother in Christ, and he's you know eating was a was a serious thing as a as, as then and now when you take somebody out to eat you want to know more, it's an act of friendship you want to know more about them you're you're trying to intertwine lives together a little bit you're you're uh, you're loving on one another and he says don't do this you know treat this guy as a uh, you know even a tax collector which was saying you know you're not to to beat on him you're not to condemn him but He's not to, to uh, keep thinking his sin's okay. You're not to be uh, endorsing sin, I should say. Once again, for what, I, what have I to do with judging those outside? God judges those who are outside. We're to judge those inside. I really believe that uh, how we're just plummeting into sin as a society, uh, it's getting worse and worse, obviously. We said that. Uh, I think this would help a lot. I mean, I don't want to see people hurt, but I, if the ju- if, if the church was doing what they were called to do, if the church were, were uh, going in the, the power of the Lord and the guidance of the Lord to uh, to head off sin, you know, before it leavens up, puffs up, you know, gets this big, uh, it'd be, it'd look, I think I believe it would look a little different, you know, I think it would draw people to Him, that purity, you know, to walk in the beauty of His holiness um, is, a, is an attractive thing to people. And finally, verse 13, uh, he says, put away from yourselves the evil person. This is a verse that, it's an interesting thing. Paul does this, he'll give a verse like this, and it's actually found in, I think, four or five different places in the Old Testament. The same verse says, put away from yourselves the evil person. So back, it's, and they're all in Deuteronomy, and so we know that the, the camp of Israel, sin arose, rose up, God you know, put them away. We're not. We're not going to tolerate it, and that, that cuts down on that kind of thing. You know, I think the prisons would be a little less full. I think uh, there'd be a little less. Uh, uh, people would think a little more before they did something if, if there was a serious, but righteous uh, uh, thing done there. So, so as we finish this, uh, I think about how my pastor. Uh, he says this a lot. He says, you know, we're not to be, as a church, we're not to be, uh, you know, keep the doors shut. Be like policemen watching out and then bust out on people when they come up and they're in the wrong. But to be like a hospital. Uh, the church is to be like a hospital. That we bring in the sick people. Treat them. Love on them. Make things right. Um, you know, restore such a one who's been here and is coming back for in repentance. And so to be paramedics and not policemen, you know. Uh, I think about, you know, breaking a bone. Say you break your arm. Well, it takes weeks for that thing to set back up. And you've got a baby. And you've got to go back for treatment and checkup and help with it. And, and how much more we are to spend those six, eight weeks, two months, three months, maybe a year with our brother or sister in Christ. Spend with them, helping them to uh, to come back into that fellowship with the Lord. Uh, being their accountability. Willing to be their accountability. Excuse me. Uh, you know, striving with them to uh, to want to do better, to walk in the light, and so.
I hope you guys are encouraged somehow in that <laughs> in this chapter um, that you can go out and do that. Just go out and be paramedics and uh, treat the help to you know God does it, but he, he it's a blessing when He uses us to help treat the uh, the spiritual stuff there in people's lives and be in there for them. So let's pray, Lord. We thank you. Uh, you know, we looked at Romans earlier, and I love. Uh, uh, Romans tells us that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And uh, that's true in all of our lives, Lord. Your grace is what does it, Lord. That thing we don't deserve, that unmerited favor, that the same grace that saved us is the same grace that sustains us and upholds us. And thank you for that, Lord, that you you walk with us in the valleys, on the mountaintops, ups and downs, and that... Uh, that uh, we can do that very thing with you. And so we pray that uh, we can walk in the light. Help us to walk in the light as you're in the light, Lord. That uh, people would be drawn to you when they see this beauty uh, and realness of a life, of lives uh, lived for you. So draw, draw people to yourself. Use us, Lord. Keep us pure, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.